Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring the world's biggest ideas and the people making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson. And I'm Andrew Moon. In the previous episode of Moonshot, we met people investing in cryptocurrencies. So if you skip that episode, stop now, go back and have a listen before continuing. But for everyone else, all of the discussion around investing in cryptocurrencies got us wondering, how are all the cryptocurrencies actually made? Yes, what goes into actually creating this digital gold? To answer that question, we turned to someone who started one of the most loved cryptocurrencies around, and it all spawned from an internet meme. Dogecoin was a was kind of a joke currency to begin with, a parody, if you will. Um, one day I was checking out all the prices of the, of the altcoins. Back then there were only maybe 50 to 100. And as I was checking out the prices of them, I noticed one was com- kind of coming on the scene every couple of weeks. So my name's Jackson Palmer, and uh, I'm the creator of Dogecoin. Um, I created that back in 2013. Um, and when I'm not involved in cryptocurrency, uh, by day, I'm a product manager in the Bay Area. And this all happened around the, the same time in late 2013 that the, the Doge meme was really popular. And for those that are unaware, um, the Doge meme is the picture of that dog, the photo of the dog looking into the camera. It's a, it's a Japanese breed of dog called a Shiba Inu. Somebody had commented online, you know, saying, um, you know, look at that Doge as kind of like a, a play on dog with an E on the end. So. Um, it was a popular meme and my brain just kind of, uh, you know, I, I think I'd had a beer at the time. I was sitting down and uh, just put two and two together and, and came up with Dogecoin. So, you, you started it as a joke. That's right. Yeah. When I started it, it wasn't actually a thing. It was, it, it started its life as a tweet that was, you know, comically kind of saying, uh, I'm going to invest in Dogecoin. I think it's the next big thing. And at that point, it was, it was, it was nothing more than a tweet. Um, I then purchased the domain name dogecoin.com and put up a, a superimposed image of the meme over a coin and, and said, hey, it's a crypto, it's a parody cryptocurrency. And it only took a few days for that, that kind of joke in itself to, to go viral. Um, and a few days later, somebody else reached out to me um, who was in the US at the time um, and saying, hey, why don't we, you know, just for kicks, make this a, a real thing. Um, just so we can both kind of learn how the code of, of, of Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies works. How long did it take you to actually turn it into a coin? Yeah, the um, for the first release, most of the work, most of the you know, there wasn't a lot of work, but it was done by um, my co-founder Billy, and it, it, it was honestly a matter of a find and replace uh, in the in the Bitcoin source code um, or a variation on the Bitcoin source code. So it was really just find and replace Bitcoin with Dogecoin. Um, change a few numbers and um, build it. So all in all, maybe about three hours of of development work, um, you know, if that. When you look at the various cryptocurrencies in circulation, it turns out that while Bitcoin was the first, it definitely isn't the best when it comes to scalability. The huge interest in Bitcoin in recent months has actually caused the network to slow down significantly and transaction costs to skyrocket. 
that's a problem that can only be fixed if a significant portion of Bitcoin holders migrate to new software. And every time that has been attempted so far, it's failed. After Bitcoin went live and people began to realize the problems with its source code, many people just cloned the source code and started fixing the things that they thought were wrong. Some people even rebuilt the entire code base to implement different ideas or use different cryptographic algorithms. And all of this has resulted in some very interesting altcoins. Litecoin was one of the first competitors. It aimed to improve on Bitcoin by using a different algorithm to authenticate the network. And getting technical for a moment, Bitcoin uses SHA-256 and Litecoin uses script spelt with a Y. Litecoin also reduces the block times from Bitcoin's 10 minutes down to two and a half, meaning blocks of transactions can be processed faster something that's vital for a cryptocurrency developed with a goal of making money transfers across borders instantaneous. Ethereum is another cryptocurrency that's taken the world by storm. Ethereum is the secure backbone for everything from e-commerce to the internet of things. Ethereum has reduced the block time even further, down to around 14 seconds. There's two other big selling points that's led to Ethereum's quick rise. One, other apps can be built on its code base, extending the possibilities for developers. And Ethereum has also pioneered the idea of smart contracts or contracts that are tied directly to the exchange of the currency. This opens up the potential for Ethereum to be used beyond being traded just as a coin, an idea that we'll explore more in our next episode. But back to Dogecoin, and while it may have started as a joke, Jackson and his co-founder Billy still had to decide on how their technology might improve on some of the limitations of Bitcoin. When we were discussing kind of like what the magic numbers would be, the magic numbers are really just variables that kind of define how the currency shapes up. And, you know, in Bitcoin's case, you know, a, a block is mined every 10 minutes. That's when all the transactions get processed every 10 minutes. And they have 21 million coins um, in total that can ever be mined through that process. Um, with Dogecoin, um, we, we said, well, you know, it's a joke. So let's have 100 billion coins um, as a reference to, to the Austin Powers <laughs> series of films and Dr. Evil, uh, $100 billion. And um, and we, we made the, the block time uh, just one minute instead of 10 minutes. So every one minute, all the transactions get processed. Um, and these were just you know, the, the reasons we made these decisions were, were kind of random. But at the same time, we were trying to make it so that it would um, be mined out very quickly. Whereas Bitcoin is going to take, you know, um, decades to get completely mined out of that 21 million. Um, Dogecoin was designed in a way that um, after about a year, the, the whole thing would be mined out. There would, um, and you know, you wouldn't be able to mine it anymore or that the cap would be hit. When did you realize that this thing was, was starting to become more than just a joke? Yeah, well, because it was a joke, um, and, and Billy and I didn't really have any, you know, he had a gaming PC. I didn't even have a, a PC that was re capable of mining at the time. And so, Neither of us really had put like a concerted effort into trying to accumulate any of the currency. We, you know, he, he mined a little bit for the both of us early on. We put it just on the forums and I tweeted, hey, you can actually use it right now. Just kind of thinking that, again, it would be a joke and that, you know, a week later it would be, you know, last week's fad and, you know, nobody would be talking about it. What happened quickly, though, is, is you know, Billy contacted me after about a day and said, hey, there's too many people mining this thing. We can't mine it anymore. It's it, There's all this computing power being pointed at this network. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's got a dog on it. Like, <laughs> this can't be real. Um, 
you know, why are people doing that? And uh, at this point, it wasn't even listed on an exchange, so you couldn't trade it for for actual money in any way. So it's kind of like, what if people gone mad? And um, that kind of, you know, insanity didn't really ease up. It was just a constant barrage of, you know, that was the first moment where we were both like in shock. And then, you know, flash forward a week later and, and you know, uh, we're getting contacted by the media and flash forward another week. And there's like, you know, 30,000 users on Reddit that are into it. And um, it just kind of went viral in its own right. Dogecoin exploded in popularity. And as Jackson said, they didn't actually make that much money from the coin's growth. Jackson actually stepped back from the project in 2014. He spends a lot of time now talking about the differences between various currencies on his YouTube channel. The videos are super in-depth and fascinating if you've got more than a cursory interest in cryptocurrencies. If that is you, we'll put a link in the show notes. And as we mentioned in our last Moonshot episode, there's been a number of serious hacks at various exchanges with millions in currencies stolen. Bitcoin has also proven to be a great vehicle for people that are trying to hide their identity, making it a currency of choice for people trying to launder money or commit serious crimes. And that's actually where our current centralized systems of money actually shine. Banks play a very key role in identifying fraudulent transactions, and they also provide protection in case things go wrong. Just think of any time where you've had a scammer get hold of your credit card often you can get a refund from the bank for everything that was taken from you. So I wanted to ask Jackson how you might actually prevent fraud in a digital currency. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, There is no way, really. And so one of the things, one of the the consequences um, that you, you know, or um, the considerations that you accept when you enter into using something like Bitcoin is that everything that you do is forever. Um, And so... If if you accidentally if you mess up and you lose your password, that's that's your own fault, and you lose that money forever. Likewise, if if you if you accidentally um, you know send money to somebody who isn't who they say they are, or you send money to somebody that's a scam, um, there's no recourse for you. You can't go to your credit card company and say, hey, cancel that transaction. It's done. And it's forever. So what it means is that, you know, the average person has to be a lot more vigilant um, in in what they do. And I think the best analogy I, I think there is, it you know, using something like Bitcoin is akin to having, you know, your entire life savings in cash um, stored underneath your mattress. And um, if you lose that, that's on you. You know, there's no, um, there's no blaming anybody else. If you give some of that cash to somebody who's bad, they can run off with it and never, you'll never get to see it again. Likewise, you can be robbed of it. <laughs> that must be a limitation of, of cryptocurrencies in terms of like widespread adoption, right? Because, uh, you know, it would be very difficult for me to like get my mum to, to sign up to a cryptocurrency and then, you know, use that for day-to-day transactions when there's that concern over, well, what happens if I do something wrong? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the kind of people that are that are very hardcore into this stuff and you know are true believers in Bitcoin would say, well, people have to get smarter and people have to take on that risk. You know, it's just a natural thing that they have to do. Um, and, I, and I think that that aligns with many kind of libertarian ideals that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with. But people say that everybody should be responsible for their own actions, right? Um, I think the history of banking and the financial sector has shown us that the average person doesn't necessarily want to be their own bank. Um, they, they like some of those reassurances that they have. Um, 
And so I agree. I think it's a huge um, barrier to uh, to entry or mainstream adoption. So what's happened as a result of that is that centralized um, wallets or places you can put your cryptocurrency services like Coinbase, I think in Australia there's Coinjar um, and a few others have popped up over the years um, where you can store it and you you have you don't have to worry about you know having your your secret keys stored away somewhere in your house. Um, the side effect of that, though, is that those services can be hacked in a traditional sense. So if somebody hacks their servers, they can run off with all your money. And so, um, again, you know, you lose that whole benefit of not relying on a bank that Bitcoin was originally supposed to, to protect against, right? Um, so it's it if you're using a service like Coinbase or something else, you're, you're in effect just using a bank. And, you know, it, it, I don't really understand the point of Bitcoin then. And we'll have more of our interview with Dogecoin founder Jackson Palmer right after this break. Andrew here. Now, before the break, we were talking with Jackson Palmer, the creator of Dogecoin, a cryptocurrency that started as a joke and then turned into something that, at the time of our interview, had a market cap of 700 million US dollars. Now though, with falling prices of cryptocurrencies across the board, the Doge is worth around 360 million. That's down from almost 2 billion at the start of the year. And it's worth acknowledging, if you find some of these concepts confusing, you are not at all alone. Chris and I are doing our best, but this world is new, ever-changing and confusing, even for those who spend every day in it. Exactly. I was actually speaking to Jackson about one of the videos on his YouTube channel on privacy coins, and he told me that it took him six months to boil down the incredibly complex set of differences to regular coins and explain it in a way that people can actually understand. So if one thing is easy to understand, it's that this topic is not easy to understand. And here's the other thing. As we mentioned in our last episode, when you look at cryptocurrencies in general, there's a whole discussion happening as to whether cryptocurrencies are best used as money or as a store of value like gold. As we explained, it's very difficult to go down to your local store and use Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency to actually buy any products. And this issue is also something that Jackson has been thinking about. I think that 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 operates under the assumption that something like um, the Bitcoin or any of these currencies is is two things: one that it has any intrinsic value, and two that it is finite. Um, I think something like gold or silver, um, in, in addition to having you know obvi- obvious uses in in medical in the medical space, in electronics, in um, jewelry, um, where they where it's valued as an actual tangible material. Um, these these resources have a finite supply, right? Um, and not an artificially finite. I'm talking a, a real finite, i.e., there is only so much gold on the planet that will ever exist. With something like Bitcoin, you know, somebody would come back and say the argument is, oh, well, Bitcoin's capped at 21 million. There'll only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. But because it's just software, as we've seen in the last year, there's there's no nothing stopping somebody going and forking that and creating their own currency like Bitcoin Cash or, or, you know, many of the forks that have popped up recently or something like Dogecoin. And so if you're looking at just cryptographic tokens rather than Bitcoin as a store of value, um, 
they're 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 artificially finite. They're not actually finite in real world tangible sense. And because of that, I think it, it's 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 dangerous to try and imply that you know these things are a good store of value. And we've seen in the past, you know, say you know in the December period, you know, somebody was telling you, oh, it's a good store of value, and you went and bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin when it was twenty worth twenty thousand um, dollars. Right now, you wouldn't be saying it's a very good store of value because you would have lost about fifty percent of your money. Um, if you look at you know the, the the economic trends of something like silver or gold or these commodities, they while they have fluctuations, they don't necessarily have fluctuations to that extent. And so I, I don't think Bitcoin is good as a, or any of these cryptocurrencies are necessarily a good store of value. I think the only chance they have because of the the fact that the code is open source and can be forked by anybody is that they try and become better currencies. And so I, I you know, that's why I'm interested in, in protocols that try to scale Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies, because I think that's the only shot this stuff has. Um, the whole store of value thing I kind of see as a, you know, a, a new narrative <laughs> that is being spun up um, in, in wake of it not working as a currency. Which are the cryptocurrencies that you find most interesting at the moment? I'm interested in in, in more of the technological side and, and things that are almost kind of theoretical at this point about how how these things might scale. I think nobody's got a silver bullet um, to scaling something like Bitcoin or because these systems are inherently as they're decentralized, they, they insert um, inefficiencies in the name of security. And so it, it's hard to scale. I think um, things that I'm interested in, and one is an implementation called Mimble Wimble. Um, there's an implementation of that called Grin that's being built. Um, this addresses many of the scaling concerns with Bitcoin. Um, so I like that. And an- another thing that I'm interested in is a, a technology called Spectre slash Phantom. These were two white papers that were released by a bunch of folks out of Israel. Um, and, and these similarly um, are focusing on how you could essentially scale the Bitcoin network um, through you know, newer innovative approaches to what we were talking about with proof of work and the kind of the data structure and stuff like that. Given all of this and, and given some of the issues that, that we're talking about with Bitcoin and also cryptocurrencies in general um, in comparison to like using a bank and using cash, do you think that we will ever see a true universally accepted digital currency? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we already have and I think it's our, our, our existing currencies being digitized um, through applications such as Venmo and Facebook Messenger and Apple Pay. When you go to your local restaurant or cafe and you, you tap your phone and you put your little fingerprint on it, it pays automatically um, through Apple Pay. You know, I, I don't think anybody's under the illusion, or hopefully they're not, that there's, you know, somebody in the background, you know, put, actually moving cash from one vault to another. That isn't what's happening. All this stuff is happening digitally and numbers are simply being moved around from, you know, one person to another, right? From from uh, your your account is you know being subtracted an amount and amount is being added to the the account of your local coffee shop and so I think you know the bulk of, of the currency that we use today is digital um, it, it's it's centralized as, as as in its government issued and um, it's being controlled you know typically through banks but you know I, the question that I have is whether that is you know uh, whether that is enough of a barrier for people i think um i haven't really heard anybody that uses apple pay or 
um, any of these technologies saying, oh, it's, it's way too slow and expensive. But I have heard a lot of people say that about Bitcoin. Um, and so I, I think in order for, for the, you know, for a digital cryptocurrency to have mainstream adoption, I think it has to catch up with those things in some way. Otherwise, it'll always remain a niche a niche offering, right? It'll only be useful to people that are trying to hide what they're doing online or, you know, that, you know, for some reason specifically need to protect their money against, you know, government or bank intervention, right? And I would say that's a very limited portion of the market. Now, looking at the success of Dogecoin, how does it make you feel to know that you created this thing as a joke and it turned into something that has so much value? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think I use it as a... um, as a measure of of the of how much I believe in this stuff, you know, which sounds you know kind of snarky, but basically, you know, it's it, the year is 2018, and a coin, a cryptocurrency with a dog on it, is worth nearly a billion dollars. Like, I think that's a statement that that people need to reflect on before they get too excited about you know digital currency and whether what we're seeing right now is is uh, you know hype. Um, or real substance and you know and I, I get a lot of flack for from people that are say oh why are you so down on dogecoin you know why are you and I, i'm not down on it I'm, I'm simply saying that um from a rational kind of big picture kind of standpoint um the fact that this this currency that has no real novelty other than it has having a dog on it being worth that much um you know is very indicative of of some mania going on right and so that's how I kind of see it. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I haven't been involved in the thing for upwards of like, you know, three years now. So, but um, I, I think that I, whenever anybody says, what do you think about <laughs> you know, cryptocurrency? Should I put my own money into it? I say, well, go and look at, go and look at the, the price of Dogecoin. If, if that doesn't scare you, then sure, <laughs> put, put some money in it. Are cryptocurrencies in a bubble? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I yes. <laughs> I, I think, um, I, I don't think anybody rational um, can objectively say that it's not a bubble. I think, yes, um, just just based on its growth trajectory and, and you know, how it, how quickly it, it, it kind of got to where it is right now. The question is, like, is it the top of the bubble? How long has it got to go till it pops? Um, all of those questions. And I have no idea. Like, you know, like I said, a dog on a coin is worth $700 million. Like, you know, the world has gone mad. But, um, you know, who knows? Like, I, I think that objectively, yes, it is a bubble. Could it get even bigger? And could the value of Bitcoin be 10x in two years and it still hasn't popped? Sure. Could it all go to zero tomorrow? Sure. Like, it's um, just like any bubble, you know, if, if you're able to predict the future, you're, you're going to be a very wealthy person. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't think anybody's cracked that. Next time on Moonshot. This is you know, a bottom-up technological revolution where what is being built are tools for creating new societies. So the, the fact that some of these things are, are just weird and curious and fun, like you know, the crypto kitties thing and just, you know, and playful, um, I think is, is actually you know, a really interesting aspect of this, that this is a technology that's being built that has an enormous amount of potential, disruptive potential in the world. 
Thanks for joining us on another episode of Moonshot. If you want to find out more about the show or get in touch and recommend a new Moonshot idea for us to pursue, then head across to our website, moonshot.audio, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. We love hearing from you, our audience, so send us messages, let us know what you think about the show. Our cover artwork is by Andrew Millist, and our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Join us again next time as we explore more big ideas that are set to change your future.